This podcast was recorded on April 14th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You know, Canada's a middle power. We depend on global order, global stability in order to basically do almost everything. And if that goes out the window, it's it's really going to be very problematic for us. voice of Stephanie Carvin, an assistant professor of international affairs at Carleton University, explaining Canada's overarching foreign policy objectives and the potential impact of an unpredictable White House. The Canada-U.S. relationship took a turn last week after President Donald Trump announced a U.S. airstrike against a Syrian airbase allegedly linked to the deadly chemical attack. Trump, who in January signed an executive order proposing an indefinite ban on Syrian refugees, said he was moved after seeing images of some of the youngest victims of the gas attack. Even beautiful babies were cruelly murdered in this very barbaric attack. No child of God should ever suffer such horror. Foreign Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau once likened the Canada-U.S. relationship to sleeping with an elephant. So in that spirit, we're taking a closer look at Canada's shifting stance on foreign affairs. If the U.S. takes a hard turn, will Canada follow? You're listening to Follow Up, a Huffington Post Canada politics podcast. I'm your host, Althea Raj. On April 14th, a week after the suspected chemical attack and the U.S. airstrikes, Canada announced new sanctions against top officials in Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's government. For the moment, as you'll hear later in the show, Canada isn't ruling out further military engagement in the region. That would be a drastic policy change for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, but it's certainly not the first time the Liberal leader has changed his tune. Here's a sampling of the Prime Minister's evolving stance from 2015 to today. Military action alone isn't going to uh, solve the Syrian civil war and isn't going to solve or or, or defeat ISIS. While airstrike operations can be very useful to achieve short-term military and territorial gains, they do not on their own achieve long-term stability for local communities. I just wanted to ask you, how does it feel to be cast as the world's new big liberal superhero? This is a a war crime, and the entire international community must uh, stand firmly against such things. Uh, There are, uh, of course, still questions to be answered around uh, who is responsible for these. Canada fully supports the United States' limited, focused action to degrade the Assad's regime's ability to launch such attacks. We were informed about an hour before the airstrikes uh, by the American military on Syria. So what information specifically has convinced you that Assad is the one responsible? Uh, A uh, trusted and uh, reliable ally in the United States uh, informed us that the Assad regime was responsible for uh, these chemical attacks. I'm now joined by HuffPost senior political editor, Brian Maloney. Brian, hello. Hi, Althea. How are you doing? Good. You? 
Very good, thanks. I wanted to ask you what you make of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's change in tone and perhaps you could even say position. You know, in New York, he didn't assign, didn't want to assign blame, but definitely struck a different tone less than 24 hours later. What do you make of that? Well, certainly the place that he's ended up is very different from the place where he began. You know, he originally was commenting on not knowing who for sure was responsible for the chemical attack and wanting a United Nations Security Council resolution. And then, as you say, 12, 16 hours later, um, he's coming out in support of, of Donald Trump's uh, actions. And when you think about it, the, the actions from Trump, whether or not you agree with them, do sort of undermine the United Nations, which is the institution that, uh, that Trudeau's courting. I mean, Trump did not seek a resolution, obviously. This kind of attack probably makes clear that Russia, you know, has a veto over uh, resolutions against Syria. Which we so, even saw this week. Right. Exactly. So for, for a prime minister that is very, very focused and is putting a lot of energy and money behind winning a United Nations Security Council seat, um, it was a pretty big change. However, I was struck that with the exception of, you know, some people did call it a flip-flop, but it seems to me that people are, at least his rivals are, I don't want to say letting letting this one slide because it's such a obviously difficult, impossible situation, but they don't seem to be hammering him uh, from in a partisan way on that uh, that decision. So we decided to focus this podcast on Canada's foreign policy, basically asking the question, what is it? Because it does seem like the items that were in the Liberal Party's election platform, the renewed focus on peacekeeping, working with multilateral organizations, that doesn't seem to be consuming as much oxygen as the relationship with the United States at the moment. What has struck you in the government's foreign policy goals or objectives or actions from the past 16 months? So for me, one of the bigger uh, one of the bigger promises, of course, was the peacekeeping mission, which now it was promised last last summer and has been delayed, and and you get the sense that foreign policy is now about Donald Trump and how Donald Trump has changed everything. Now a lot of focus is about reacting and responding to a president who obviously does not have a lot of respect for the United Nations and is not going to wait for a United Nations resolution uh, and is extremely unpredictable. So in some respects, it makes sense that the focus now be on trying to respond and trying to react to what has changed since Trump has come into the office. Ron Maloney, thank you. Thank you, Althea. Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland wasn't available to join us this week, but here is some of what she told reporters during a conference call following a meeting with the G7 foreign ministers in Italy on Tuesday. The audio isn't as clear as we'd like, but I think it gives a useful insight into the government's thinking. Does Canada support removing uh, Assad from power one way or another? When it comes to Assad, Canada is very much of the view that, particularly in the wake of what is a war crime, the use of chemical weapons last week, Assad has to go. The Prime Minister was clear that Canada backed the strikes against the Syrian airfield because the Syrians had used chemical weapons. And he was quite clear that his approval was specific because of that chemical weapon use. The uh, Trump administration is now musing about barrel bombs. Would Canada support a unilateral U.S. strike against a Syrian facility that was launching barrel bombs? As you know, David, I don't believe in 
speaking to hypotheticals. What I will say very clearly is there was clear support today from the G7 and also from the like-minded countries for the U.S. strike on Thursday. And I felt it was very important for us to collectively voice that support. When it comes to next steps in Syria, you know, we had some very important conversations about those next steps today and yesterday. It's tremendously important to keep up the pressure, tremendously important to work hard now. And, I, and Secretary Tillerson, you know, very much is going to Moscow with this in mind, that there is an opening now to press for a political, political progress. That was Christia Freeland, the foreign affairs minister, answering questions from reporters. Now, we know, of course, that Russia's meetings with U.S. Secretary of State Rick Tillerson didn't bear much fruit. Russia seems utterly uninterested in participating in regime change in Syria. Well, for all the talk about the relationship between the Trump White House and the Putin Kremlin, there's been precious little public contact. That changed today. With Syria front and center of their agenda, the top U.S. and Russian diplomats met in Moscow. And if you take each man at his word, the relationship is not good. There is a low level of trust between our two countries. The world's two foremost nuclear powers cannot have this kind of relationship. Russia's a strong country. Uh, we're a very, very strong country. We're going to see how that all works out. Yeah, the word foreign didn't appear, and I was kind of like, oh, but there's lots on international, there's lots on defense issues, but, and there's a lot of platitudes, things like, you know, we're going to restore Canada as a leader in the world. Well, that's great. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? It's a great question. This is Stephanie Carvin, the Carleton University professor you heard at the top of the podcast, talking about what's in the liberal election platform when it comes to international affairs. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you for inviting us into your office. Thanks for being here. I wanted to start off basically asking you what you think Canada's foreign policy is, because I think that perhaps last year when we had all this talk of Canada is back and we had all the visits from the prime minister to the UN and we had uh, the UN secretary general at the time, Ban Ki-moon, come here. We had a general sense of, I think, where we thought the liberals were going to go on the foreign policy file. And now it seems a little bit less obvious. I mean, obviously, Donald Trump has changed things, perhaps. There's a renewed focus on China. But what do you think Canada's foreign policy is? It's a good question right now. Uh, for example, if you look at what the Liberals promised in 2015, they promised leadership, they promised re-engagement with the United Nations. And right now, uh, if you did an evaluation of what's happened since November 2015, I'm not sure you would really see that. Certainly Trudeau has gone down to the United Nations a number of times. He was down there, uh, I believe, last week. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's, you know, certainly flying the Can Canadian flag. But in terms of actual substance, we haven't seen, I think, as much as perhaps what some of the uh, old Pearsonians or new Pearsonians would have perhaps liked. Is that just because the government is not as focused on the foreign policy file or just because the Trump election have cha has changed things? I, I suspect it's more the latter than the former. I, you know, the United States is such an important relationship for Canada. It, you know, it can't actually be overstated. It is the economic relationship with the United States is the oxygen we breathe. And for Canada, you know, 
we didn't just have to deal with 9-11, for example, but people here remember we also had to deal with 9-12. Mm-hmm. We had to deal with the fact that the border shut down. And I think that memory has kind of left an indelible scar or stain on Canada's memory about its relationship with the United States. So managing that relationship is the most important thing. And when you have someone who is just as utterly unpredictable as Trump, who seems to change his mind in the course of several tweets about an issue you have to really focus on that. So on the one hand, while it might be disappointing that you know the Trudeau government hasn't perhaps lived up to this liberal uh, internationalism perhaps that they promised during the election campaign, they have to focus their energy on managing that U.S. relationship. We saw that more obvious than anything last week when the prime minister was asked on Thursday about the chemical attacks in Syria. And he basically said that he wanted a diplomatic course to finding out who was responsible. He didn't point the finger at Bashar al-Assad. That's a pretty big jump. I think we've seen a jump in rhetoric and we've seen a lot of talk in the media about a real hardening of Trudeau's position on this. I would push back on that just Mm -hmm. a little bit in the sense that I think Canada's position has always been relatively anti-Assad. I'm not sure they've been as explicit as perhaps they are now. But by and large, if you look at our policy, I mean, we've been pushing for a diplomatic solution using different channels. uh, And then, you know, our rhetoric is starting to match that of Donald Trump's very recent rapid turn. So, you know, I think that narrative that this is a huge about face for Canada is uh, not as not as perhaps um, true as perhaps what's been suggested in the media. That being said, I think this larger issue here for Canada is the fact that the president of the United States appears to have changed his mind on a significant foreign mm-hmm. policy issue within a 72 hour period. And, you know, if I'm uh in, in Trudeau's PMO, or, or if I'm at Global Affairs Canada, you know, last week, Trump and his uh, spokespeople, including Nikki Haley, who's the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, basically were saying, oh, no, uh, we have no intention of removing Assad from power, that this is a, uh, you know, this is not a priority, we're entirely focused on the Islamic State. And then, with, again, within like three days, basically changed their mind. I'm probably a little bit panicked by that, you know, uh, again, if I'm looking at this from Ottawa's perspective, because what else is Trump willing to change his mind on so very quickly? On the one hand, I think it's a very legitimate concern that if you take Assad out of power, whether it's through a political process or through some kind of military operation, we, we don't necessarily know who's going to replace Assad. He is the son of the former dictator of Syria, so there's a dynastic element to that. So that's one issue. But on the other hand, he's, you know, the peace process isn't going anywhere with him in power. And, you know, we see the uh, opposition in Syria when we have tried to sit them down through some kind of peace process. The opposition is comprised of 100 different fighting groups. And that's just the opposition we're talking to. That doesn't include the extremist elements. So Mm -hmm. 100 different groups. One of the few things that unites them is that there can't be a peace agreement without Uh, with Assad in power. And so long as that's the case, I think, you know, him being there is definitely an impediment to a final um, settlement in that area. So on the one hand, yes, I'm extremely concerned about what follows Assad. But on the other hand, him being there hasn't resolved the crisis at all. It seems to be at an unfortunate stalemate. And then as well, you know, there doesn't seem to be any possibility for peace without him actually being with him being there 
right now as well. So, you know, my my preference here would be for some kind of peaceful agreement or, you know, even Vladimir Putin trying to find him a nice cushy condo somewhere in Moscow. But I'm not entirely sure Russia is going to be willing to play ball on that. Matt DeCourcy, Member of Parliament for Fredericton and uh, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. DeCourcy has been Freeland's Parliamentary Secretary since January. I went to see him at his office Thursday afternoon for a big picture chat. Matt, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. So basically, what is Canada's foreign policy? I would say the policy of this government has one of has been one of uh, broad re-engagement with the world, whether uh, as a way of advocating for uh, human rights adherence around the world, uh, for adherence to the rule of law, uh, whether espousing our values as a government, that of diversity, of, uh, of respect and support and promotion of minority rights, of the need to empower women and girls around the world, both socially and economically. Those are aspects that, that we're certainly proud to uh, be forwarding in our foreign policy. At the same time, looking to broaden our trade capacity around the world, uh, exploring new opportunities to ensure that we see the type of economic growth back in Canada that supports middle-class Canadians and those working so hard to join the middle class. If I look back at the Liberal Party's election platform, you know, very clearly the Liberals pledged to to end the combat mission in Iraq against ISIS. Uh, There's language in there about peacekeeping, about re-engaging, to use your words, building back Canada's role in the world. We don't seem to hear that language anymore. Why not? Well, I would challenge you and, and say that, that we are actively engaging with multilateral organizations and with like-minded allies around the world. Just this last few weeks, the Minister of Foreign Affairs has been tremendously active around the world, mm-hmm. first in Washington with our partners in the coalition to degrade and defeat ISIS. And Canada continues to play a role in training uh, Iraqi forces and uh, in assisting in that mission. Um, the minister was then uh, off to Brussels to take part in a conversation with actors on the future of Syria. So we continue to be a tremendous player in uh trying to stabilize uh, war-torn regions of the world. And uh, we do that through those multilateral institutions with great respect for the United Nations, hoping to embolden further the United Nations, as well as working with our ally to the south, the United States. Will Canada back uh, further possible American efforts in Syria to remove Mr. El-Ashad? First of all... I think it's important for Canadians to know that we won't uh, speculate on hypotheticals, but that we continue to be uh, in dialogue and in conversation with our U.S. allies well, on I a don't regular know that it's basis. It's a hypothetical. I think people want to know, like, you know, where does Canada draw the line? Like, a, clearly, the Prime Minister mentioned that this particular bombing was the result of the chemical uh, attack, and that this was a limited and carefully calculated response to that. But what if it extends to more? Where where does our support sort of end? I think those are discussions that we would prefer to have uh, with our allies through the G7, through the UN, through our, uh, our allies and other coalition efforts. 
again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to comment on what hypothetical action the U.S. might take wherever, but, uh, but I would want to assure Canadians that our close relationship with the U.S. allows us to be uh, knowledgeable and in the loop on, uh, on their ongoing plans and actions as it relates to some of the conflict zones around the world. It's clear that Canada's economic relationship with the United States is extremely important. I don't think anyone can under, uh, under-characterize that relationship. But to what extent has it pushed other things on the back burner? For example, we last August at the Liberal Caucus, the government announced that we were going to be engaging in a peacekeeping mission and details were supposed to be emerging soon. And I think most of us who were there thought, oh, in a few weeks, probably we will find out where exactly it is that you know, these 600 men and women are going. Eight months later, we have no idea what is happening to peacekeeping. Nobody seems to be talking about that anymore. The relationship with China was a huge focus in September. We're not talking about China anymore. How, how much has trumped uh, sort of pushed everything else away. As relates to peacekeeping operations, you're right, that's a commitment that we made during the election campaign, and it's a commitment that we uh, remain committed to fulfilling. But are we really still studying the issue, or are we just consumed with other things at the moment? No, I, I, it's, it's certainly um, an issue that, that we continue to see as a priority, um, and uh, we want to make sure before announcing exactly what our mission will be that we've decided on the appropriate uh, use of our peacekeeping troops. Without a doubt, the government has spent a lot of time and effort and energy building links with the Trump White House, developing uh, good contacts with some of the secretaries that are closest to us, Secretary of Defense, Homeland Security. I am wondering if there is a concern amongst, whether it's amongst some in the government or some in caucus, that there is a fine line there. There is a bit of a dance that needs to be played because it seems like the American audience, whether it's citizens on the street or the American media or even people from outside the United States. I was just, just in Scotland and everyone kept telling me how much they adore our prime minister. There is, There seems to be a desire to want to brand him as the golden boy of uh, liberalism. And there seems to be a deep desire from the people inside the Langevin block right behind us in the prime minister's office not to brand him as that because uh, they don't want him to be seen as a challenger to Trump. Rather, they want him to be seen as an ally. I, I think the, the strategy that has been put in place to engage thoughtfully with our U.S. allies to the south has already paid dividends. We've seen uh, the president express I think views that are closer aligned with ours around multilateralism, around the importance of NATO, around uh, the importance, once again, of finding that lasting peace for the Syrian people. That only happens because the Prime Minister has been diligent in being vocal on the world stage, and also uh, he and his team getting to know personally Trump and that administration. Um, I think what we're seeing is are the fruits of a well-thought-out plan to build personal relationships with President Trump and the team that is put in place around him. And I have confidence in the Prime Minister and his team um, that they will continue to build on those relationships. And I hope that Canadians would have confidence in us that as we do that, we're doing that with their best interests in mind. 
Are you taking credit? Not you personally, but are you saying the government should be taking credit for some of the more um, nuanced position that the U.S. president has come out with, especially this last week? We've seen him uh, some pretty staunch reversals from uh, the more radical positions that he expressed during the election campaign. I think we should be confident that, that our voice is being heard, but these are views and positions that we share with other allies around the world, and, and one of our fundamental objectives is to build stronger coalition around these multilateral institutions. And so, um, yes, Canada has had success in having its voice heard in the United States but, and in other parts of the world, but certainly our allies are, are, are working hard as well to build the best relationships they can with the new administration in the United States. The Foreign Affairs Minister was um, in Italy recently this week. She suggested that uh, Bashar al-Assad must go. Basically, Canada is calling for regime change. What's the likelihood that Canada will play a role uh, in ensuring that that happens? Well, the fact that we have a seat at the table with the G7 uh, is important. Um, and I think Canadians would expect us to continue to be an active part of those conversations. But only on a diplomatic front or with military? Well, I really can't say at this point, and, and I think we all need to be reasonable uh, in our expectations of the length of time we're talking about to come to a peaceful solution in Syria. This isn't going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen after uh, the long weekend. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Hello, I'm Tony Clement, Member of Parliament for Perry Sound Muskoka and the Conservative Party's public safety critic. So I want to ask you about Syria. You were asked a few moments ago to weigh in on what you thought the government's response was. And I'm curious, from your point of view, as someone who has been foreign affairs critic and has been very familiar with this portfolio, what you think the government's foreign affairs policy actually is. It's difficult to know because it's uh, it's a shifting it's shifting sands when it comes to the Middle East. Now, to be fair and uh, balanced about this, there's no question that uh, the situation changes uh, almost on a daily basis. But I think you've got to have a principled position because otherwise you get mired in the tactics of the Middle East. Is it your sense that the government has a coherent foreign policy or that they're treating different regions like China, for example, differently than they're treating the Middle East differently than they're perhaps now more consumed with the Canada-US relationship? Is there an overall theme or is the government sort of handling every issue? No, it's, it's all very tactical. There is no there is no coherent foreign policy. To the extent that we had one, it was we want to get into the United Nations Security Council. Well, guess what? The United Nations Security Council is where UN resolutions uh, go to die because they get vetoed by China and Russia uh, habitually. So uh, there's no big thrill being on the UN Security Council when it's so dysfunctional. It's one thing to to go in on sunny ways and we're, we're gonna, it's gonna be uh, rainbows and unicorns and butterflies, but the reality on the ground is very different. It's a very, uh, the, the world order is dissolving around the world right now. And it is not the, it's not the status quo. And uh, so you have to have a, a sense of where can Canada wants to stand, both in terms of principles and in terms of its national interests. Uh, that is not very evident right now from the Trudeau government. So my name is Derek Burney. I'm the Senior Strategic Advisor at Norton Rose Fulbright in Ottawa, Canada. 
You're also former Prime Minister Brian Maroney's former Chief of Staff. I was a diplomat for 30 years. I became the Chief of Staff to the Prime Minister, Mr. Maroney, in 1987 to 1989. And I was then uh, Ambassador to Washington from 1989 to 1993. After that, I went into the private sector and I ran Bell Canada International for about six years and then a company called CAE, which is in flight simulation for five years, and after that, I joined the law firm. So I'm in my fourth career. I wanted to start off by asking you what you think the government's foreign policy objective is at the moment. Is there a coherent foreign policy? Canada is back, (laughs) is what they announced when they were elected. In other words, I think the government, when it was elected, uh, really believed itself that it could make it change in Canada's foreign policy from the previous government. But events in the world have a way of bringing a dose of heavy reality into any government's foreign policy focus. And so while I think one aspect of this government's foreign policy remains distinct, and that is the aspiration to get a seat on the Security Council, uh, I think that the events south of our border have caused the government to focus much more on relations, particularly economic relations, with the United States than they were doing initially because they saw themselves as being somewhat more in sync with the previous U.S. administration than they may see themselves being with the current U.S. administration. And to their credit, I think they've adjusted quickly with changes in the cabinet and with the prime minister uh, having his first meeting uh, with the new U.S. president, a meeting that went uh, in Canadian, in a Canadian view uh, reasonably well in terms of tone. So I would say to you that the most profound change is a, a result of the election in the United States, which I think the gov- has brought the government uh, back to a stronger focus on our economic Mm -hmm. relationship in North America, particularly with the United States, as well as, I wouldn't say a position of conformity, but certainly a position of greater understanding and and, uh, of the importance of things like NATO in the scheme of things. So that's why I say that the more it may change, the more it's tending to look more like what Canada's foreign policy position basically has always been. I mean, I'm biased because of my own background in foreign policy, which was with Asia and the United States primarily, but no Canadian prime minister has any greater priority on the foreign policy front than managing relations with the United States because it affects literally everything that goes on in this country. And so we've seen different phases of that. I mean, current prime minister's father Uh, pursued something that he called the third option, which was kind of a Goldilocks approach to the United States, not too warm, not too cold, but just right. Didn't really go anywhere. Um, The Mulroney government took a different tack, saying that they wanted close relations with the United States. They wanted to give the United States the benefit of the doubt on international issues, and they wanted a constructive partnership on things like trade, the environment, and what we call Arctic sovereignty, which is an issue that you probably don't want to get too detailed an explanation of. Uh, 
We'll leave uh, that for another time. Yeah, but I mean, it starts with a focus on the United States and the manner in which we decide to manage relations with the United States will determine much of what we're able to do in the world. Why do I say that? Many countries in the world look to Canada as a kind of looking glass into the United States. And so if we have access and influence in Washington, that enhances our credibility with countries around the world who lock, often look to Canada as a kind of a seeing-eye dog to help them understand what's going on because we are seen as sort of uh, through a North American lens as having a better understanding of what is going on in the United States than is apparent in the rest of the world. So how big an impact was Donald Trump's election on this government's priorities? The most obvious one was nobody saw it coming. I think they had established a very close and warm relationship with the Obama administration. And uh, they were very simpatico on things like climate change. So if there's one thing that Mr. Trump has demonstrated is that he is not Barack Obama. And that is to his credit, in my view, because I think America became a bit mushy in terms of foreign policy under Barack Obama. Did you think it was a good idea for the Liberal government to come out right after Mr. Trump's election and basically say, hey, we're ready to renegotiate NAFTA if you want to? Well, that's just because we're such nice people. You know, Canadians tend to be nice people. You know that. And I think that's instinctive on our part. We're not looking, for, we're not looking to fight with somebody at 10 times our size. We'd rather get along. You have to acknowledge that in a trade agreement that's 23 years old could be modernized in a constructive way because things like cell phones weren't even in existence when that agreement was negotiated. So there's a whole new area of technology that could be better addressed in a renegotiation. But some people suggested, uh, many conservatives, that that was naive of the government and that the Trudeau government should not have wrapped its arms around Mexico and and suggested that uh, we were all going to be singing from the same songbook and that we should have perhaps even made it clear that what's important to the United States, if it's border security, uh, well, what's important to us is economic security and you can't have one without the other. Well, I don't like dwelling in what was done uh, six months ago. I'm more concerned with what's going to be done in the next six months. If you want to have influence in Washington, you have to have access. You're not going to have access in Washington if you're looking for a headline in the Toronto Star, okay? Uh, because that's not going to get you access, and if you don't have access, you're not going to have influence. You've got 200 ambassadors in Washington who all want access in order to be influential. So if you're Canada, and you're the neighbor, and you're the ally, and the largest trading partner of the United States, you have credentials to go with your desire for access. You need to exercise those credentials in a manner that serves your interests. And that can't be defined by getting close to or getting along with or going along in order to get along. I don't buy any of that. If we have differences that are differences of substance, we should have no hesitation in telling the Americans in private, in diplo diplomatic terms, what those differences are. But if we want to celebrate the differences in public because we're looking for a cheap headline at home, I don't have any time for that. So are they playing their cards right? I think they're playing their cards correctly. Is there anything that you could see the government contemplate that it otherwise would not have without Mr. Trump in power? 
Well, I don't think we'd be considering renegotiating NAFTA if Mr. Trump was not in Washington. I don't think it was, although Mr. Obama was opposed to NAFTA in his first election, people forget those things. So was the Liberal Party opposed to it back in 1993. Uh, they even opposed the initial free trade agreement. Well, we won't get into history, right? Are there other things? Well, again, I mean, this is a government that hasn't even been in office for 100 days. And I, I come back to what I said earlier. We have to wait and see whether what the Trump administration says it's going to do in terms of tax reform, regulatory reform, energy expansion, climate change, uh, those are the biggies, I think. We'll have to wait and see uh, because we're going to have to take into account the changes that they make if they actually make them in those areas. I, I can understand why the government is, is watching and waiting mm -hmm. in terms of making any uh, decisions of that kind. They say they're not going to change, which is what any government would say in the circumstance. But, you know, they've made similar statements about electoral reform, and they backed up. And the Liberals have uh, flip-flopped, and Mr. Trump has flip-flopped as well, as we saw this week. Almost on, on a daily basis, you might say, on certain issues like Syria and Russia. and NATO. We, yeah, NATO. NATO's no longer obsolete. Did you hear that? Yes. <laughs> It is a very different world. Um, I've seen nine U.S. presidents in my lifetime, and I've never seen anyone like this one. Derek Bernie, thank you very much. This thank you very much. I think I've had fun. <laughs> I hope you have too. I have. Now, where's this blog going to appear? It's a podcast. A podcast. A podcast. Yeah, well, what, I don't know. I will what send that you is. the link. You what? don't know what a podcast is? No. Why would I know about that? I was born in 1939, my dear. We may have a better indication of where the government's foreign policy objectives lie in the coming months. We are waiting, of course, for the announcement of where Canada's peacekeeping contribution will be. The Department of Defence is also expected to release its policy review. And this week, the International Development Minister, Marie-Claude Bibot, told me she's eager to share news about her new feminist agenda. That's a wrap this week for this all foreign policy episode of Follow Up. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. We really like to hear from you. You can reach me on Facebook or Twitter at Althea Raj. Let us know what topics you think we should cover. A giant thanks this week to our amazing co-producer, Zian Lum, and our technical producer, Stephanie Warner. Andre Lau is our executive producer. I'm Althea Raj. Thank you for listening. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.